0: Hello, Mr. Anderson. Welcome to the podcast. Um, thank you. How are you doing during these times? Are you safe? I'm doing well,
1: absolutely. thank you. Yes, fa- family safe. And uh, yes, it's, it's unprecedented times, uh, that's for sure.
0: It absolutely is. Um, but thank you, even during these times, to take some time out and uh, for doing this podcast. You know, it means a lot to all of our students here because, as you know, now networking is, is completely stopped. Everyone's mm-hmm. at home. So, I think this is a good opportunity for people to understand uh, what's going on in different jobs and different professions, and just a way for them to, to know a little bit more about you also. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you are, of course, the head of business transformation and vice president at the Volvo uh, Car Group. Uh, could mm-hmm. you share a little bit more about uh, your job, please?
1: No, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we're in the midst of a, of a large transformation in the automotive industry. I mean, it's coming from very different, uh, different ends. I mean, digitalization is, of course, affecting every industry. Uh, in our case, if you couple that then with uh, what we call shared mobility, uh, which is really driven by the trends from a consumer and inwards, uh, meaning that customers would like to have convenience and uh, convenient access and, and the, mo- the possibility to, to get mobile Without necessarily owning a car, and uh, if you couple that as well, then with uh, connectivity, meaning that uh, connected devices, the car is is uh, becoming and is going to be a very very important connected device, uh, which uh, puts a lot of uh, you know challenges uh, to us and how we how we do that in order to add value to our customers, and and not least electrification. Uh, of course, due to the, you know, CO2 challenges that uh, we are faced with and uh, the overall climate crisis, this needs to accelerate. And uh, as in in all cases, when you talk about early technology, the uh, cost is relatively high, and uh, customers are not necessarily willing to pay uh, what you would like them to pay for it uh, initially. So it is it is about finding that you know, balance. Uh, and, and there are many initiatives within that area that I have been working with the last few years, not least share mobility.
0: So how did you get started in, in your current role? Uh, what was the journey like till you, till you got to this position?
1: I was heading up uh, global marketing for Volvo cars uh, during two and a half years. And then I got the questions from our then CFO and our, our CEO, who's uh, also a current CEO. To, and they asked me if I wanted to engage in, in really something that was a pet subject, you could say, from our CEO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a subscription-based business. Uh, we uh, started something that uh, we call Care by Volvo. And uh, the first thing that I did was then to, uh, to really define the product. What, what does that mean? What is a subscription product? What kind of services should be included? And then very early on, uh, I decided together with you know uh, a group and the steering committee that I had to move in and, and to make that uh, product and that uh, subscription really work in a local market and we decided to pilot uh, kerba volvo in germany so i started that very early on and then uh, really for one and a half years i ran that project uh, until it was launched and we had built up uh, an entire infrastructure around that and and, then so that was once that was finished i moved into my current role called the business transformation which has a lot to do with you know, us going direct to consumer uh, has to do with, you know, that type of subscription product. And and how do we prepare the company for that kind of transformation overall? Because what we did initially was a pilot in one market. We wanted to make sure that that we could do it and that we could get uh, at least close to a proof of concept. And then, uh, then we moved on to say, okay, how do we transform the entire company to, to prepare for this? you know big change
0: what does a subscription model look like exactly how how does that work yeah you could say
1: that where we started off was looking at the trends in society and the fact that both in the united states especially and in europe a private leasing among the leasing to private consumers meaning uh, private leasing or renting depending on the market you call it you know a leasing product or, or a rental product, we've seen that sort of really take off because of uh, you know ownership is becoming less uh, important, and, and that sort of you know has really and also then you know not least among the business to business this is, has been a product for quite some time, but we saw some some gaps that we could uh, that we could try to address. And, uh, and be able to monitor that uh, and, and whilst addressing that then we could get uh, and, uh, and attract new customer groups. we could also improve the uh, overall experience for existing leasing customers uh, and and what it means is that we included more services within the within the lease slash rental product and then what we also did we increased convenience, meaning it was easier to step into uh, to, to the product, it's a subscription product, but also easier to exit from that, meaning that you wouldn't have to sign up for, you know, three years or four years. And, uh, and, and that type of convenience, coupled with more services, really made the product attractive. And, and we saw uh, very early on that we attracted younger customers, uh, and and relatively wealthy customers as well who wanted that you know they want they could yeah. imagine paying for that
0: convenience so a normal lease for a car would be anywhere from three to five years and what we're seeing now is people want to upgrade their cars um uh, much before the lease gets over correct so they transfer the lease onto a new car um so by, by providing the subscription package like you said with with additional benefits at a little higher cost that does make sense but what, was that a strategy to keep people within the Volvo system, to keep them upgrading from one Volvo model to a new Volvo model? Uh, what, was that the logic behind it? Because if someone takes a subscription model and, you know, if, if there's no tie-in, if there's no lock-in period of three to five years, and after a year, they want to give it back, uh, I'm just looking at the depreciation of the car, and then you have to do something with that car, correct? Absolutely.
1: So, that, and that's part of the, the challenge, is to build that infrastructure behind so you you could say when you look at other industries and subscription products, it's not like you you know what what the, what the companies would like you to do is of course to stay loyal to that subscription, uh, and and that's of course in our interests as well is that you are able then to add more convenient you know services uh, along the subscription period, uh, for example, uh, and and but I think that's where we. To your point, you know how you balance these two, this equation of, uh, of on the one hand providing convenience, on the other hand being able to to really uh, you know take care of that from a business point of view. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you have to make money at it, yeah, absolutely. and you have to also have, make sure that you can manage your risk yes. properly. And that's why we chose to go into a to a pilot market to begin with. To really understand where would our, our challenges uh, be going forward, and uh, and it's still a learning process. You know, we're learning a lot. We what we did what we did see to answer your question. We did see a lot of new customers coming in early on, uh, but at the same time, then many of our existing customers transferring their existing leases into subscription uh, products. So. I think this all has to do with the trend in society. People want to, you know, they don't want to necessarily commit for such a long time. So from yes. a consumer standpoint, I think it was pretty straightforward. Uh, it Actually, the biggest challenge, I would say, is, is more actually of being able to, to manage that type of product. in a, When we're talking about, you know, film streaming uh, yeah. compared to, to a car, you know, two yeah. different things, of course.
0: Absolutely, it makes sense. Um, so another thing I wanted to ask you was before this podcast, I reached out to some fellow students, and I'm also a part of the Babson Mobility Club. So okay. I reached out to some of them and I asked them if they had any, any questions that they were curious about, anything that they wanted to ask mm. one One common question that uh, you know that I saw was where does Volvo see itself positioned in terms yeah. of um what, what what kind of audience are you looking for? What kind of customers are you targeting? Because mm. the Volvo of old that we know was, you know, station wagons. It was a very reliable car, very well-built, mm. solid car. You know, Volvo's also been the pioneer with safety also with a three-point seatbelt, right? Sure. And now we see after the company got acquired by... Tell me something. Is, is it Geely or Geely? <laughs> I can never uh, get okay. Yeah, that it.
1: Okay, <laughs> yeah. You know... Geely is,
0: Gilly. is uh, what we right. what we use normally. Yeah. So so after going acquired by that, I think we we've seen a little bit of a change, right? The, the cars mm-hmm. have become, um, I don't know, the, the, the better looking cars. You have more like modern cars, more more amenities in the car. Mm-hmm. So so where, where do you see a Volvo being positioned in the mm-hmm. spectrum?
1: Now, but Volvo has always been uh, you know extremely strong on 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 safety. And that's part of our core DNA. Uh, we have as our, you know, mission statement to say that, you know, cars are driven by people. Therefore, the the guiding principle behind everything we make at Volvo is and must remain safety. And and uh, but the the key is really then to to combine that with attractive design and and pleasure to drive because that's what premium customers are expecting. And and I think what we did, what we were able to do now under Chinese ownership, was really then to invest uh, on the one end, in the backbone, in, in the platform, because the platform is the base for great for great design. Uh, but then, of course, to bring in, you know, some new talent that could also add some, some flavor to the brand without us diluting it, because I think that's been the success of always, you know, We've, we have always been very good at, at, you know, staying as a leader in safety and uh, also then as surviving as a company, as a relatively small company, but we have been less good at thriving, you know, and, and really take that next step. And now with all these elements, you know, genuinely, we're talking about more or less the same people that, that yeah. were working under Ford ownership now, Got the possibility to, to do something uh, truly great under, under Geely
0: ownership. Is, is, there, is there a big difference in the working styles between you know, Ford and Geely, like in the management? Um, because it comes from such drastically different cultures and the markets are so different the the Chinese market right now I think is the world's biggest car market if I'm not wrong right first or second biggest yeah
1: and, uh, I mean of course I mean it is uh, you know one is an American company one is a Chinese company and, and the uh, you know Ford is a very large uh, OEM mm-hmm. and uh, with global presence uh, and but and and so that's of course puts its its own you know they have they have a very strong company culture. Uh, and uh, and of course we were part, you know, we're a division within that group. Yeah. Uh, now with with Geely, then we uh, we were, you know, they have of course the their own auto di- division, but then Volvo became, you know, quite a large part of that group, and and also the at the outset the owner said, you know, Volvo should stay Volvo, and Geely should stay Geely, and I think that's under that sort of precondition, the company has been been managed you know, with a strong, uh, strong board of directors and independent uh, management team. And, and also there's another one big difference too, You know, a couple of big differences. With Geely, we got access to the Chinese market in a completely different way than, than before, which is today our largest market and, and the largest auto market in the world. Uh, we should also know that, under, you know, it was it was a very difficult period, uh, you know, with the financial crisis, yeah. uh, you know, during Ford ownership, and Ford really needed to focus on their own brand. So there are circumstances around this as well. So, but clearly, we've had a very, very positive run with uh, in, during the last ten years. Uh, very positive.
0: why do you think there was a? Uh, there's an uptick in sales in China, right, under Geely. Was it because the product was kind of being made differently? You, you said they give you independence, right, to, to, to do your own thing. They didn't interfere. But they, they know the Chinese market better than anyone else. Yes. So which, which part of their insights helped you the most? Was it marketing a product or kind of making small tweaks that the Chinese consumer likes? Was that uh, also a big part of it?
1: Overnight we became a household name, you could say in China. You know the awareness of Volvo increased enormously after the acquisition. Uh, and then, of course, also being then uh, you know one hundred percent owned by geely we could we could start up our manufacturing process uh, in a very much in a much different you know and faster way, whereas at that time, you know most other OEMs from Europe or United States, they depended on on uh, joint venture structures. And, and uh, of course, that gave them access to the market, but it, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's more complicated in that sense. At least that's our impression and, and how we saw it as a benefit. So those two things uh, helped enormously with, uh, with our China presence. And, uh, and then you could say that we had the experience of everything outside of, of China,
0: which, uh, which uh, Gili had less of. So it makes sense, you both leverage of each other's strengths in this, yep. in this, in this uh, arrangement. Mm. So, in terms of uh, technology, is there anything you could tell us what like, Volvo has been working on? Because we know about the, the LIDAR technology, right? Mm. Um, how, how, how does Volvo keep innovating and try and stay ahead of the curve?
1: Yeah, I mean, as I said, safety has been part of our core DNA from day one, which means that that's where we put a lot of, of research and development funds into them continuously staying ahead and i think the next sort of incarnation of safety in that sense is autonomous drive technologies and and, then you know we aim to be a leader in that field uh, and and there i mean it's going to be it's it's obviously very challenging to to uh, to really excel in that area and but i think with our with our strength in in uh, safety that's what we're aiming to and that seems absolutely realistic that we can stay ahead if you couple that then with sustainability uh, which uh, which really what we have done now we've taken sustainability and lifted that to the level of safety in our in our priority setting so we have now you know the same type of investments going into research R&D research and development for sustainability and I think these two in combination uh, then and and it's not you know you cannot you cannot say only uh, yep. focus on these two, obviously, but but I think in order to get sort of cutting edge in a marketplace which is very crowded I mean, and and is now being disrupted, uh, then then that's a very strong platform to stand on.
0: But compared to your peers, compared to other companies out there, uh, does Volvo spend more or less on R&D, or does it or does it spend around the same but does a better job at it, like more efficiently?
1: I, I don't think, I mean, if you have to look at it over time, uh, then, uh, then, of course, if you look 10, 15 years back, we were spending less, clearly. Uh, and then with the introduction of the new platform technologies and new product coming to market, I think we went up in spending and, and spent a little bit uh, more. Mm-hmm. And, and now that sort of has flattened out as a percent of revenue. So we are, you know, we are among the peers in, in the percentage of revenue. I would say today Uh, and and i think because we're 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 growing significantly as well and and, you know we need to in that sense we had to also catch up making sure that we had cars and vehicles in in most attractive segments and that of course put a lot of of uh, effort we needed a lot of uh, financial financial you know uh, support in order to to do that which meant that we we did not have you know reap that type of of uh, uh, r- high returns initially. And those, that has come then in, in, in the latter part of this journey.
0: Long term investment, basically, right? You had a, yeah, that vision absolutely. that is going to pay off down the road. And, so, and an owner that really
1: understood that, what it takes.
0: Yeah, because this is very similar to what we see, for example, when, when there was a deal between Tata and Jaguar Land Rover. Uh, one of the conditions was that Tata give them space and not, not really interfere. Um, I don't know how that's worked out, <laughs> but I don't. I, I,
1: I, I don't know. I I, I couldn't say that. But,
0: uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that was a deal. So you've spoken about, of course, R and D, safety, uh, autonomous cars, self-driving cars. Uh, what about like electric cars? How, how how's that going for Volvo? Do do you do you look at it as a growing market? That's you know that that that's time has come now. Looking at Tesla, you you see a lot of Ford products also, right? They have the Mustang and now the Bronco. You have the electric. Uh, yeah. the sedan and the truck uh, where does volvo stand in that are you are you going to take your time with it or do you want to like you think it's a future now
1: yeah i think we were one of the you know uh, of the existing oems we were one of the of the brands that that were took a very clear position a few years back to say that you know by 2025 all our our cars would be you know uh, fully electric or or with hybrid technology so we've we've taken that decision. we, we you know we uh, we have, uh, we understand that, uh, you know, also for two reasons. One, that's the way the market is going. That's that's, that's clear. Uh, and you could also say that Tesla is, you know, has been a forerunner in that field, no doubt, with 100% electrified fleet. Uh, but you could also, I mean, this, is, you know, in order to meet, you know, uh, future legislation, in order to meet uh, customer d- demands, that, that's that's where you have to go. And yes it's a relatively small player we could also not really do things you know uh, have two or three parallel tracks you know we have to decide and and be bold
0: i know you're busy. I'm just gonna ask you like last two questions uh,
1: yeah so, so one of
0: the, one of them is how do you identify uh, a market uh, to enter into so I'll, I'll give the example for india right so um suzuki entered india decades ago so i think in the 60s or 70s And they saw the potential of the market. So they tied up with the the government, with the local company. And today, I think they have something like 40-45% of the Indian market. Because they they, they went into a market that was not very attractive at the time. People weren't really buying Mm -hmm. cars. They didn't have money. But they said, okay, long term, this is going to pay off. And today Mm -hmm. it is, right? People's default choice is Maruti Suzuki. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you identify markets to enter into what if they have long-term potential but you know nothing in the short term Would you still go into it? Or would you wait for the market to mature and see whether your predictions are correct and then enter the market?
1: I mean, we are present in in obviously in many markets uh, around the world either, you know with our own sales organization or through independent importers Uh, So that's 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 clear. That's what we've already uh, we've already, you know, taken many of them, although at the same time, there are many markets where we have yet not yet entered. And and there's a combination of factors, you know, you have to obviously have a reasonable market size uh, in the premium segment, you really to justify an, an organization and the investment that, it, that are required. And also then there could be trade barriers. Uh, and and uh, legislation, or, or could be rules around local content, which means that you would have to have production. And if you want to have production, then you need, of course, a certain size to also justify that financially. So many elements are, are coming in. I mean, India is one of the markets where we have been for quite some time. Mm-hmm. It, it's still you know, a relatively small uh, premium segment yes and 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 you need to have local production uh, with with quite high content in, in order to come down in cost and really penetrate that market and uh, and we have today we have uh, we have assembly in, in india, so that's one of the markets where we have taken you know step stepwise approach
0: I, I- I think every, every time I go to India, every year when I go back to India, I see, I think, more and more Volvo cars on the road. mm mm-hmm. That's good. So I think you <laughs> are doing something right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, also you should know, I mean, the premium segment is
1: global. You know, people, yes. uh, they, you know, they watch television, they travel, they, they understand what a global brand is. So I think from a brand standpoint, we're relatively comfortable that, you know, we could enter into any market. So it has a lot, you know. It's the economics that would would have to steer.
0: Have you seen your average, the average age of your buyer kind of going down, of your customer going down, like, or or has it? Yes, it has. With
1: a new with a new product range and the growth, we have we have seen uh, age coming down. So more, uh, you know, more wider uh, spectrum of of vehicles, Mm -hmm. and the more attractive vehicles. Then at the same time we have dropped a few car lines on on the low end in terms of pricing, which had then attractiveness both for younger and older. But I think on you know in general you know we have we have uh, age has has come down slightly. Although that has not been an objective in itself. What we would like to do, of course, is to secure you know the future market and of course younger. People are. That's the future market. So you have to make sure that you you don't lose on on that lower end age bracket. And that's uh, and with the XC40 now, the small SUV, for example, we see great strides into into the younger youthful segment.
0: Is is that a trend that's happening in, in Europe also? Because in in Asia, particularly in India, you see a lot of people upgrading to SUVs. Even if you see yeah. Brazil or the U.S. has always liked big cars, right? They always like the mm. trucks and the monster mm. SUVs. Europe has always kind of been this place where small cars have done well. I don't know whether it's because mm. you know the size of the roads or you have like a lot of small cities and towns. Mm. Ha- have they started moving to, to SUVs also?
1: The Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, you, the XC40, the Volvo SUV, the smallest one we have, was voted, you know, the European car of the year. So it's, uh, okay, so it's it, and that is, yeah, and that, you know, it's the first time that happened to us. And it's really because, you know, it's a fantastic product, but it's also because the segment is developing and, and it's attractive for, for, for customers. And it's got the right size, you know, for many European cities where there is no parking and you have, you know, demands on CO2 levels and so on and so forth. So it's, it's a truly global product, but it's been very successful here.
0: Anderson, I'd really like to thank you for this uh, podcast, for taking time out. And is there anything you could say to, you know, any words of advice for us, grad students here, looking out into a, to get into the post-COVID world, into a very tough job market. (laughs) Any, any words of advice?
1: yeah well actually when you know when i graduated uh, from uh, university it was in Sweden at the time a very very difficult uh, labor market and and hard but the thing is that you know uh, some you know this is this pandemic yeah for sure we will we will remember it and it will affect a lot of people and it's it's terrible in, in many different ways but i think it could also give us strength and and especially I would say that the green transformation will happen for sure. So if there is anything I think uh, you should be looking out for, it's you know, how, to, how to drive the green, green transformation. That's, that's going to be key,
0: absolutely. I agree with you completely. There's always, you know, even in crisis, you always see opportunity. And like I said, uh, some markets are faster growing, and that's, that's where we should focus on for growth. Uh, Mr. Anderson, thank you so much for this.